Open your Bible to Proverbs 23. We have a lot going on in our country right now. It's very, uh, this week has placed us on a precipice, a point. We're going to go one way or the other. I have the answer to the entire problem. His name is Jesus. You ought to make it a point this week to find somebody that doesn't look like you. Somebody that doesn't sound like you. Somebody that doesn't have your past. You ought to make it a point this week to go hug their neck. Let the world be broken. The church will not be. Sometimes I get up here and I idle my engine for a minute. Because this is a, I like all kind of different words. This is a spirit-led church. Uh, This is a spirit-filled church. This might even freak you out. This is a Holy Ghost church. If Jesus said that we would need the Holy Spirit, why would you not want the Holy Spirit? So sometimes I come up here and I idle my engine for a minute because I'm trying to decide, Lord, do you want me to preach all this stuff I wrote down? Or do you have something better? But the answer to the world's problem is found in one man. A Galilean born to a virgin, born under very unique circumstances in a small town called Bethlehem, where he was born not in a luxurious hospital or beautiful hotel room, but he was born in a stable. He was born in a man- laid in a manger or a feed trough. Maybe we should get a picture of that for a minute. Finds you a barn and then think of having your baby there. And then think of laying your baby not in the beautiful crib that you registered for at Target or wherever. Laying your baby in a feed trough where all the animals came and consumed their grain, their sustenance, but all the stuff that's in their mouth and their nose and everything else fell into. And the king of creation, the word the Bible says, the gospel of John begins with in the beginning was the word and the word's with God and the word was God. His name's Jesus. Was laid in a feed trough. Most likely a hollowed out rock. So, basically, they took the building block that was rejected and laid him on a rock in a small town in a barn. And the world did not know him. And they did not realize what had come. But the Bible says there were some shepherds. Everybody say shepherd. 
there were some shepherds watching their flocks by night. And the Bible says that one looked into heaven and an angel began to converse with him and say, there is a king that was born this day. He's in Bethlehem. There will be no end to his kingdom. And then when the conversation seemed to cease, the Bible says the scales fell off the man's eyes, theoretically. And he saw a multitude of heaven, all magnifying God, saying, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Sometimes in our life, it's as if we do not see the hand of God moving, but the scales can come off at any moment to know that God is not surprised by our situation. God is not surprised by our circumstances. More so, He has a heavenly host that is sitting at the ready. And if we do not magnify God, if we're not there to take our place to lift up the name of Jesus, He has angels standing at the ready. The Bible says they took that baby boy and... Joseph was warned in a dream to take him to Egypt. Now this wouldn't make any sense to most Israelites because Egypt was the place where Israel was delivered from. But the Bible says that God will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Sometimes you're surrounded by your enemies not because God has to deliver you but because God's going to show himself strong in their presence. Before they were about to take on this road trip, the Bible says that three wise men came. Everybody say wise men. And they brought gifts to, to, to the Son of God. They brought gifts to Mary and Joseph and the baby boy. They brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I find it interesting that the Bible specifically calls the people who first gave to Jesus wise. I want to be wise. The Bible says they went to Egypt, waited there until they got a word from God that it was safe to come back, and they came back, and they began to raise that baby boy in the Holy Land. At 12 years old, they had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and the Bible says that when Mary and Joseph were on their way back to uh, Galilee or on their way back to Nazareth, literally, uh, they couldn't find Jesus. Now, on one side, if you don't have any kids... You can go, who would lose their kid? But if you have children, you go, glory to God, I've been there. You can lose them in your own house, y'all. I don't know how it happens. So they go looking for Jesus. And the Bible says that he's at the temple, 12 years old, reasoning with the elders, the priests of the temple. And they were mesmerized at the understanding that this young man had. And Mary, Jesus' mom, said, Jesus, how come you left us? Where were you? We didn't know where you were. And the Bible says that Jesus' mom, yo, you should have known I would be about my father's business. There's a generation coming now that is going to be about the father's business consistently. But the world is in turmoil now, and sometimes we look through our own lens and we think, oh man, I, I, I can't stand the, the fact that the world is so upside down. Can I just say this? The world was not in better shape then, but Jesus still showed up. 
The Bible says that uh, Jesus uh, grew more wise and he, he, he grew older and he gets to where what, what, what the Bible says is the first miracle we have record of and he's at a wedding. And his mom uh, comes up and somebody says, oh man, we're out of wine. And, 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 and Mary looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. And he says, woman, what's this have to do with me? She doesn't say a word to him. She looks at the other people and says, whatever he says, do it. You see, the answer to the world's problems oftentimes are found in the most simple contexts and references. The answer to the world's problems is found in what Jesus' mom said that day. Whatever he says, do it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said that if he be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. He said that he'll make you the head not. Whatever he says, do it. You say, well, that just sounds too simple. There's an acronym in, in, in like uh, uh, the world out there. It's, it's K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, Sam. What were y'all going to say? <laughs> Keep it simple. A back to the basics philosophy most oftentimes will get you back. I, I remember one time uh, there was a movie, and it's probably not that good of a movie, so I won't tell you what it is. But there's a, there's a guy, and he's trying to crank a lawnmower. And he's like, and he's a mechanic. There's something wrong with this lawnmower. And he checks his spark plug. He's like, oh no. And he cleans his spark plug. And he just can't get, he's so frustrated. And then all of a sudden, this guy walks up, who in the movie is a very simple uh, person. And he walks up and he goes, he goes, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm working on this lawnmower. He goes, what's wrong with it? He goes, oh, there's something wrong with it. It won't crank. And the guy just stands up and all of a sudden the guy who walks up opens the gas cap and goes it's out of gas <laughs> back to the basics so this summer we're teaching on the idea of recalibrating our thinking because if we can recalibrate our thinking we can recalibrate our believing and we will have whatever we believe amen it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ that will save your soul. It is you believing the gospel of Jesus Christ that will save your soul. So in your life and in my life, it's imperative that we change our thinking. Proverbs 23, 7. Throw it up there for me if you could, guys. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That means whatever you think on, that's what you're going to gravitate to. That word thinketh is literally like the word gatekeeper, which means whatever you allow into your soul, your soul is your mind, your will, your desire to do a thing, and your emotions. Bump your neighbor and say, you're emotional. Bump your other neighbor and say, you're super emotional. Now bump yourself. No, don't do that. But literally, what you think, the, what you, the gatekeeper of your life, allow into your meditating time, and I don't mean meditating in, a, in, in some kind of a, a odd thing. I mean what you think on, what you roll around, what you allow your mind to marinate on. That's what you become. So uh, two weeks ago, 
if you haven't heard these messages, go get the podcast online. But literally, uh, God wants you to prosper. We didn't get this from a good idea, even though it is. We get it from the Bible. So for us, we don't ever think again on the idea that God made you poor, that God wants you broke, that God's trying to teach you something, or anything, because it never, ever says that, ever. Not one time does it say that I'm going to make my people poor. Never. Amen. Number two, last week, we learned that God wants us to be in health. God doesn't make you sick to teach you a lesson. Amen. Amen. Come on, amen. amen. God doesn't make you sick to teach you a lesson. He, he's, not, he's not, you know, he, the Bible says that Jesus never did anything that he didn't see his daddy do. So if you want to know what God the Father does, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because that's the recollection of what Jesus did. And Jesus never did anything that his dad didn't tell him to do. So literally, Jesus walking the earth never walked by anybody and said, you know what? You are looking too healthy. Boom, there's the flu. <laughs> he never walked by anybody and said, you know what? Uh, you need a stomach bug. But he healed every person that asked him. So surely, if it was not the will of God for you to be healed, which Third John says this, Brethren, above all things, I wish that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So surely, if that was not the truth, Jesus would have given us at least one example where he either would have made somebody sick or he would have not healed somebody that asked. But every person that asked him for healing, they got it. So when we think on our health, when we think on the health of our family, we think on the fact and the idea that God wants us to be healed. We don't go to God and say, Oh God, if it be your will, you can make me whole. Now the leper that we read about earlier said that, but he didn't have the benefit of God's holy word being completed so that he could read it and know. So for you and for me, we don't go to God wondering if he wants to heal us. We don't go to God hoping that he wants to heal us. No, we go to God, get this, believing that he wants to heal us. And we believe in a very powerful way. Because believing is a choice. You can choose what you believe. Have you ever heard somebody say this? I just can't believe it. I, I've, had people, I've had people come to me and tell me something, and I'm just like, look, I'm not telling you it didn't happen. I'm telling you I can't believe it. I'll give you an example. I had a guy uh, several years ago. He was on the, the Bigfoot. Uh, uh, he, he believed in uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot. And, and I'm not saying that the guy is a, like a liar or anything because he told me countless times that he'd seen him and, you know, you know he, he hit a tree and clicked something and all kind of stuff. And he comes and tells me, and he just, I mean, he's so passionate about it. I said, brother, look, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm just telling you I can't believe it. You decide what you believe and what you don't believe. But the world wants you to decide, the world wants you to think that however you feel is what you believe, but what you feel is not what you believe, what you feel is your circumstance. Which means you're going to believe God in the middle of your situation, you're going to believe God in the middle of your circumstance, because if you can think what God says about you, 
you will begin to believe what God says about you. And if you will believe in the name of Jesus, you can have everything you're believing God for. Somebody give God a hand of praise at this Rotary Club meeting. There are three positions that will put you in the pit. Everybody say three. One, you can fall in. Maybe you're clumsy. Maybe you tripped. Maybe something puts you back where you used to be and you wish you hadn't made that decision. You can fall in the pit. Another is you can get pushed in the pit. Somebody can shove you. Somebody can push you when you're not looking. So how does that happen, preacher? Well, you go to the water cooler. And when you get to the water cooler, you go to get you a, a glass of water. And all of a sudden, Susie shows up. And you say, hello, Susie. She says, hello. She says, well, how's things at home? Well, everything's good, except Buford always leaves his socks on the floor. And Susie says to you, all men are that way. You can't trust any of them. And the first time you hear it, you think, well, that's not my Buford. He loves me. He got me a ring. Come on, he put mud flaps on my truck. He got me one of them stickers with the deer head on it and a girl deer head, and we're looking at each other. It's on the back glass of my truck. Buford wouldn't do that. And Susie says, they're all the same. And in the spirit, this is happening. They're all the same. Next day, you get to the water cooler. Is Buford still leaving his socks out? Well, I hadn't thought about it, but I guess he is. I can't believe he would do that. And before you know it, Buford walks in the house, takes his socks off, and you blow a gasket. When in reality, you were shoved in the pit. Gentlemen, you are not immune. It just happens different. You're fishing. Zzzz, lying about the fish you caught. Man, if you'd have been here like 10 minutes ago, caught like 16, they were this big, it was incredible. They were in the bucket, they all fell out, bucket fell over, and they're all, I uh, lost them. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, your buddy shows up, Bubba. Bubba's phone rings. My phone literally just rang. Bubba's phone rings. He looks at it. He goes, I told my wife I was fishing. He puts it in his pocket and not to call me. She just always wants to call and nag me. And Bubba looks at you and said, know what I mean? And your first thought is, no, man, I don't know what you mean at all. My wife made brownies yesterday. It's a pretty good day at my house. You mean to tell me your wife never nags you? She never gets on you because you forget to put the seat down on the toilet? And you look at Bubba and you're like, well, wait a minute, Bub. You got a point. I am mistreated. <laughs> and then your wife calls. She answers, you answer the phone and go, don't tell me about that toilet seat again. And she goes, what are you talking about? 
I was just calling to tell you I love you. Oh, I don't believe it. You were calling to tell me about the toilet. Bubba told me all about you women folk. <laughs> I make light and I make funny. But in the spirit, Bubba's just shoving you into the pit. Bubba's not coming home with you. Bubba's not sharing a bed with you. Bubba's not going to help you. Bubba's not going to be there at your deathbed. Bubba's not going to raise uh, pray that God would raise you from the dead and someone to come on your life. When you said yes to, to your wife, when you said yes to your husband, you became one flesh. The moment you decide that you're going to say something ugly to your spouse, it's just no, it's no different than harming yourself. And no healthy person harms himself. I know it can happen, but when you're healthy, you don't. But you get shoved in a pit. Maybe it's a different kind. Maybe you, you just, man, I tell you what, I can't make ends meet. Everything's so difficult. Everything is so tough. And then all of a sudden, uh, your other friend tells you, he goes, man, I tell you what, you know what, it's just life is so hard. It's never going to be fair. It's never going to happen. And before you know it, you're believing that you're never going to have enough, that you're never going to break out, that you're never going to have a savings account, that your family's never going to be blessed, that your kids aren't going to go going to college, that you're not going to have a great job, that you're not going to have a good business. And it all came because somebody in their situation shoved you into a pit. So you can go into a pit three ways. You can go into the pit. Number one, you can fall. It happens to everybody. Number two, you can be shoved. Number three, you can wake up one day with dirt under your fingernails, surrounded by walls that you can't scale, and realize that you dug the hole yourself. There was a woman in the Bible Caught in the very act of adultery, the Bible says. And these guys drug her in front of everybody, in front of Jesus. And it doesn't say that they let her get dressed. It doesn't say anything like that. So it's possible that they drug her in the clothing or lack thereof that she was caught in. Because when that kind of thing happens, most of the time you're not like dressed in your Sunday best, right? So they drug her and they threw her on the ground in front of Jesus. And they said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The very act. Which means it didn't say she was being taken advantage of. She might have been, but it doesn't say that. It says she was in the act of adultery, which takes two to tangle, which means she was guilty. She had dug her own pit. The first question I would ask, where's the guy? How come we're not going to kill him too? So they drag her out, throw her on the ground. They look at Jesus, says, the law says that we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Well, the law morphed, number one, just as a side note. God gave ten, and it morphed into thousands. Amen. So anyway, they took her, threw her in front of him, says, the law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus says, well... It begins to write in the ground on the dirt. Most theologians or a lot of theologians believe that he was writing out the sins of the accusers, like listing them. How awesome would that be at church? <laughs> if, you came, if you came to church and as you're walking down, somebody like gets up there and they just start writing like on a chalkboard. Isn't it funny how quick we are to forgive ourselves, but how slow we are to forgive others? So anyway, 
They throw the woman down in front of Jesus. Jesus writes in the dirt. Then he looks up and he says, I tell you what. Whoever is without sin can throw the first stone. One by one, they begin to drop their rocks. They throw them down and most likely with their heads hung low, walk away because if Jesus hadn't written theirs down, they were flooded with the memory of what they had done. And they realized, well, I can't condemn her because then I'll be condemned. The Bible says it differently. If you don't forgive other people, God won't forgive you. Oh, that's in the New Testament too. Everybody leaves. The woman sitting there and God knows what. Probably the worst day of her life. And the best day. Think about if everybody threw you down in the street on the worst day of your life, the worst thing you ever did. My pastor taught me one of the greatest lessons that stuck with me. We found out about a, a, an amazing sin that somebody had, I, I mean, measure sin, sin is sin is sin is sin, but it was, you know, it was pretty bad. And when I thought he was going to dispatch me to make sure that they knew how wrong they were because whatever, he says to me, he goes, we don't get many opportunities like this. So what are you even talking about? He said, love covers a multitude of sins. This is probably the worst thing they've ever done. And we're going to get the chance to cover it so nobody ever sees it. I said, are you serious? I know people that would have thrown people out on their head for 10% of that. He said, not here, we're not. Love covers a multitude of sins. Amen. And I thought, okay. That family that was affected still serves God, still loves God, is still in the house of God, and is completely healed. Somebody give God a hand of praise. So the ladies lay in there. Everybody's gone except Jesus. And the lady is no doubt weeping. Probably bruised and battered for being drugged. And Jesus looks at her and says, where's your accusers? That's the way it'll be when you and I take our last breath here and we inhale the breath of eternity. Every single person that's ever spoken ill of you will not be present. The only one that matters will be he who sits on the throne. Can I say it different? Please stop worrying about what people say about you. Because they're not going to be there. He looks at her and says, where's your accusers? She says, well, they're gone. And Jesus says to her, and like, 
when I hear him say it, I hear it like this. Sweet, wonderful child. I love you more than you could ever imagine. Do you remember when you were out running in that field and you found that beautiful purple flower and you thought, wow, this is my favorite flower. I can't believe it was sitting here. I put it there. Do you remember when your mom was sick and you were so upset and then all of a sudden, in the little room that you were in, you just felt better? I do. That was me. You see, sweet, wonderful child, I'm not going to condemn you either. But hear me now. When you go, don't do this stuff anymore because these are the results. I could almost hear him saying, if you'll just hold on in less than three years, I'm going to fix it all. But I need you to stay the course. I need you to press towards the mark. But understand this. I'm not here to condemn you. Now, 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 here's the thing is we're recalibrating our mind. Jesus said, whoever is without sin should cast the first stone. Which means he could have. Everybody else had messed up before. Everybody else had sinned, but he's sinless. He's never done anything wrong. It was completely lawful for him to execute but instead he forgave. Whether you find yourself in a pit because you fell, somebody pushed you or you dug it yourself, God is not looking to condemn you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. When we hear such wonderful Bible stories, we always personify a character with ourself, meaning we inject ourselves into the story. Example, there's never been a little boy in the world that heard the story of David and Goliath that doesn't say, man, I'm like David. And there's never been a little boy that heard the story of David and Goliath that said, 
I think I'm Goliath in that story. There's never been a person that heard the story of Noah building the ark and wished that they were the person that was ridiculing Noah before it rained. There's never been a person heard the story of Moses and the deliverance from Egypt that didn't want to be Moses. So when we read this story or when we hear it, we always put ourselves on the ground having been caught. And then like any good story, it's got the fall and then it's got the rise. When Jesus comes and picks us up, says, I didn't come to condemn you. But what I'm asking you to do now is put the person you have a problem with in the position of the woman and choose even if you know they're caught in the very act I want you to refuse to condemn them and offer them freely the same grace that we so freely receive and enjoy. All over this nation, things are happening. I pray and mourn for the families of the young men who were shot. I pray and mourn for the families of the officers who were killed. The circumstances of each are overwhelmingly complex, yet the answer is so simple. If we would love our neighbor as ourself, if instead of every time we hear the story of redemption, we don't just paint ourselves in the equation, but we put everybody else in the equation too. If we refuse to believe that we have received this amazing grace, but we are so hesitant to uh, 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 send it out to others, then at that moment, we have stopped the hand of God. We have stopped the work of God. But if we will take that same level of grace and compassion and refuse to let it be hindered, if we will take that same level of grace and compassion and refuse to let it be stopped regardless of what we see then and only then will we see unity in the body of Christ which will then spill out the Bible says this you will know my people because of how they love one another you know I've talked to people trying to win them to God and they say things like this to me I love the whole Jesus deal I just don't like his people they're mean. They're ornery. They're judgmental. Now, some of them are just crazy, okay? We're not, everybody's not judgmental. Come on, give God a hand of praise. Everybody's not judgmental. Just because somebody said they think we're judgmental, it doesn't mean we're judgmental. Just because somebody says something about you, listen, they're going to talk about you. Here's my deal. I get real nervous when people stop talking about me. When people are talking about me, now I know I'm kicking some gates, you know. Amen. When they stop talking about me, now I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, hold on a minute. Am I not taking ground from the enemy? 
But we've got to get to the place where we don't just see that grace as available to us, but we have to see us as a conduit for the grace to flow to somebody else. But it comes like this. And I'll close with this. It comes with recalibrating our mind. If you think God wants to condemn you, that's how you go to Him. Oh, when the Bible says we can go boldly before the throne of grace and make our request known unto Him, not because of what you've done, but because of what He did, and you, in fact, have been clothed in Christ. Amen. So we've got to recalibrate. We've got to believe God at what He said. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when you hear the Word of God, it is not just for you to think on. It is not just for you to believe on. It is for you to think on, believe on, and bless God, act on. And when you do, little by little, Everything changes. I don't know how many people's in this room today, but I know before too long we're going to have to go to three services or something. Put in a balcony maybe. What if we just blow this wall out and keep it going a little ways and put in a whole bunch more chairs? How would that do? Would you guys, if we blew that wall out, would y'all bring more people? Two people would. I am so glad. We have to be the conduit that grace flows through. And we have to recalibrate our mind. Recalibrate just means to, to make sure you're accurate. Quick example and then I'll close. I have a golf cart. It is awesome. It has a huge LED light bar on top. When I turn it on, even at midnight, roosters start crowing. <laughs> My children love it. We go fishing from it. We drive through the pasture. We go frog gigging. Bump your neighbors, say, what's frog gigging? Google it. <laughs> Actually, you better not. My children love it. They don't kind of love it. They love it. But that golf cart's interesting. Because the steering wheel, when you're driving straight, it's actually turned like 90 degrees the wrong way. So if you... Who said wow? <laughs> so I've wrecked it a few times. What's your point? <laughs> Every guy's out there going, he can probably fix that. I'll tell you what. Well, look. Maybe you could, all right? If you just drive in the direction that the steering wheel looks like you should drive, you're going in the ditch. But if you, regardless of what you can see, will recalibrate based off of the results you want to attain then you can get to your destination. My kids, I'm going to have to be real careful. When I buy them their first car, I might have to like break the steering wheel like that to keep it. 
to keep them driving. But the answer to the world's problems are a lot more simple than we'd really like to admit. It's a turning back to an understanding that Jesus didn't come to condemn, but rather to save. And you and me are to be instruments of that good news. Give God a hand of praise. I'm done teaching. Matter of fact, stand to your feet.